Good morning again. You all look familiar. It's a privilege to be here this morning. It has been a wonderful day of worship already. I got to sit with the youth this morning where Andrew, who just was reading, uh, he was leading them. And so I've already been encouraged. My heart is full. It's wonderful, as always, to sing and lift our voices to the glory of God. And so what a day it's been. And now we get to spend some time dedicated, focused on the word. By way of kind of review, we are just about halfway through this overarching theme and series we've been doing, God's glorious plan for the family and really all relationships we've, as we've seen. Um, we have been walking through week by week different aspects of the pattern that God has set for, again, all relationships, but, but namely the family and, and how that relates to different aspects of our life, right? Last week, Pastor Raymond walked us through how, how even the church, by its very nature, is set up to be a blessing to the family, and then also the family is integrally blessing the church. It's that kind of mutual uh, back and forth, and that's intentional. That's by design, uh, of course, by our almighty God. And as we've been going through this theme week by week, sometimes we've mentioned it, sometimes we don't, but we're trying to pull out, uh, we, we have four kind of principles, four principles that we're trying to to reference and at least see week in and week out as they connect to this big picture, to this kind of umbrella theme that we are working under. Um, and so let's look at them again. I know I, I know the text is, is tiny up there, but number one, we've been seeing that Jesus impacts all my relationships and they will not satisfy as God intended apart from him. Right, that's huge. That's a big claim. Nothing is, is outside of the purview of, uh, of salvation, of our faith in Christ. And every relationship that we encounter, again, namely the family and those around us, is going to be directly impacted by a relationship with Jesus or, or not. Right? Nothing is going to satisfy as God intended apart from, from Christ. And it's going to correlate, number two there, godly relationships then lead me to worship the Creator. So all relationships are impacted by the presence of Jesus in my life. And then that relationship then, as it exhibits godly characteristics, it has a goal. The end intent is that uh, God, the creator, would be worshipped, would be honored and glorified in everything, right? Not just the few minutes we spend at church, right, as in a way of example. Now, number three, we've been seeing the church serves to build and strengthen the family, even as families build and strengthen the church, which again, that was quite the, fo it's been, that, that's been present week in and week out, but also last week especially, we were seeing that being made uh, clear in Scripture. Uh, well, here at the halfway point, um, we're going to look at number four, really. That's kind of the, the mm, uh, theme I'm trying to see in, in Scripture this morning, and I pray that we would see. And number four, as a follower of Christ, I'm committed to defend God's plan for the family uh, in the world. And again, we'd recognize God's plan for the family and all relationships would tie in there. Uh, we recognize that concept, at least, as not a call to like belligerent uh, fisticuffs defense of the faith, but really it, it has the connotation to hold, to hold fir firm to the truth, right? As a follower of Christ, I'm committed to not compromising the truth of God's word, God's plan for all these things. So everything we've been seeing and building, we want to make sure we're, we're not letting it just wash over our backs. We want to say, hey, no matter where I'm at in life, no matter where I connect with these relationships, I'm going to hold firm. I'm going to defend and recognize as a follower of Christ, this is the truth. 
And so we want to be aware of that this morning. That's kind of the direction we are heading and we've been seeing. Now, as we get there, every generation of Christians, I think, looks around them and sees the world, the secular world around us, and we're always going to look around and see, wow, we are beset by evil on all sides, really. If, if we really consider just the nature of the, the pressures of the secular world uh, as a vast majority, more and more, it's going against the ways of God, um, though this observation is not new. It seems that every generation is convinced that this is the worst it's ever gotten, and I'm not here to really argue that point, but it is interesting that I feel like all of us have kind of heard a similar line. Like, I, I was hearing from my youth leaders back as a teenager uh, that this was the world was the worst it could ever be. I've been hearing that from the people I went to church with during college in Beckley, West Virginia. They were saying it's the worst it could ever, they could ever imagine, and we continue to see it that way, and, and we know on one hand, the world is on a trajectory to that end. That's, that's following God's plan anyway, that the world would progressively um, get worse. And so we see it. It's not new to see evil all around us, but that observation is not uh, invalidated just because it's common. We see it. Um, if we think about all the different areas that maybe are under attack in our context. Again, that's going to be different across the globe, surely. But in light of our common theme of God's plan for the family, we certainly are seeing a growing uh, conflict between what God would establish as the plan for relationships in the family and individuals. We are seeing a conflict between, between that and what the world around us, especially in America now, is more and more pressuring us against it, really. It's, 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 a, it's against uh, the plan of God. And I'm sure there are, there are things that come to your mind as, we, as I even say these things, kind of hot uh, topic, hot button issues that come together, um, right? The LGBTQ plus scenario, uh, abortion comes to mind, these bigger things, um, and I'm, there's plenty more. But even, I, I think we're starting to see on a foundational level, there, there is kind of a, a eroding away of, of the concept of objective truth, right? The very claim for any Christian that's going to lift up the word of God and say, thus, thus says God, thus says the, the Lord, uh, before they even get to say that, uh, the claim is, is being made that, hold on, you can't even make an objective truth claim in the first place. There's, even that itself is relative, right? And again, even that claim is not necessarily brand new, but we're seeing it. We're seeing it more and more around us. And so I, I mentioned that because we're looking at this kind of fourth principle. If we're looking to hold to the truth, at the very least we are observing uh, tension. At the very least there's tension between what the secular world is presenting and what God presents. Now, again, as I'm, I'm looking to, to hopefully set uh, the table of our thought process, uh, we, we will have a foundational text that we will get to in a moment, but I want to hopefully guide our, our thoughts a bit. Now, one of the most striking concepts to me that I see in God's word is, is the fact that the, the Christian walk, our relationship with Christ, among other means of description, but, but it's very often referred to using warfare language. Our relationship with Christ, the Christian walk, obedience, is referred to using warfare language. And a few examples for us to see, I'm not going to list them all, but 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, notice the, the wording used. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. 
we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. See that? That's like in the trenches language. We are waging war. We're not waging war according to the flesh. So we're seeing that there's something in the spiritual realm. There is a intensity about it. There's apparently weapons within this warfare. And they're also of the spirit, not of the flesh. And they have divine power. Um, even, even uh, I like the end of this, taking every thought captive. Again, that's a very, that's a very uh, conflict-centered, kind of in-the-trenches way to put it. I'm not going to read the next two. Ephesians 6, uh, 12 and 13 is one. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 uh, is another. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at uh, 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19. Notice again some language here. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Wage the good warfare. So, as we see this, and again, that's a, we recognize, many of us recognize that pattern elsewhere in Scripture as well. The question then is, uh, why this wording? Why this warfare language in conjunction with all the other terms, right? We're not, we're not throwing out the other descriptions of uh, the love of Christ and our relationship with him, but this is included. And the question is, is how come? Why, why this language? Is, it, is that kind of intensity of, of wording, is that overdoing it? After all, most of my day-to-day life doesn't always feel like warfare, Right? Lord, I'm not really sure you got it right. That seems kind of extreme, it seems. So I think we lose sight, and and obviously there's intent behind this wording. And I've got three, but before we get to our main area, three just really quick observations to to focus our hearts towards towards what we're looking to see this morning. Um, Why the warfare language? Well, we've got three kind of observations we have to keep in mind. This is why the Word of God describes our walk with Christ with this kind of intensity. Well, the first one, right? We have a very real enemy who is actively seeking our destruction. This is not pretend stuff that we are talking about. We have a very real enemy, of course, uh, Satan, the devil. First Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. To compare Satan to a voracious alpha predator looking to destroy is an understatement, really. It is absolutely appropriate. We don't want to read over that quickly. So we have a very real enemy who is, of course, actively seeking our destruction. Another observation that I would just have, I think that we see throughout Scripture, Satan twists and manipulates aspects of the world around us towards his purposes, right? Satan is, is using the tools of the world around us towards his purposes. We have uh, uh, the outright kind of spiritual blinding that takes place, just, just the outright blinding against unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In their case, uh, referring to unbelievers, the God of this world, note, note that terminology, lower G, Satan is, is call, our enemy is called the God of this world. There is a threat there has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So there's outright just, just a blinding work that, that the enemy is, is doing. But we also see that one of the tools of the enemy is to, to kind of uh, seduce uh, through the pleasures of the world, to try to twist and manipulate and use aspects of the world that would draw us away from the truth. It's 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. 
But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, note here, I think if we consider the broad witness of Scripture, we could certainly insert other uh, wrongful loves and passions into this kind of reality. This idea that through the wrong cravings and senseless desires, um, the enemy is at work. So, we're, the reason for this warfare language, I think that we can observe, we have a very real enemy. That enemy, the devil, is actively twisting and manipulating the world around us towards, uh, or away from God, rather, towards the enemy's purposes. And finally, on top of that, we, ourselves, have a very real, natural bent towards the things that are contrary to God. All right? We have the pre- presence of the flesh within us that naturally, apart from Christ, is going to seek out these things. Galatians five seventeen, The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. See that? The, the, the conflict is even within us. Our flesh is opposing uh, the work of the Spirit within us. Romans 8, 7, and 8, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And finally, 1 Peter two eleven, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. See that with the, the, the stage kind of being set. We have the enemy. Even inwardly, we, we turn to these things naturally. Um, there is a very real spiritual battle that is involved with the Christian walk. So again, if I'm keeping in mind the, the broad theme we've been walking through for the last two months, and Lord willing that we will continue to walk through, um, these exhortations that uh, represent God's plan and his pattern for the family and all relationships uh, number four comes into, into focus then. We need to hold fast. Whether it's against uh, the temptation of the flesh or the pressures of the world, we must defend and hold fast, and we want to see how we are to do that. So with all of that kind of intro, uh, setting the table out of the way, please uh, turn your Bible to Second Timothy, the, the, the passage that Andrew read for us this morning. Second Timothy chapter 1. That's going to be our... Uh, our primary kind of anchor text this morning as we see some observations within, even as we jump around. So I've got, I've got verses in the different slides, but, but this text, I really encourage you, please have this in front of you. This is where you want to be seeing and reading. This is going to be our, our anchor, our foundation this morning. Now the title... Uh, this morning's guard the deposit. I'm getting that from, uh, uh, I don't know if your Bible has this. My Bible has a heading there above verse 3, actually, but guard the deposit entrusted to you. Uh, Lord willing, we'll see what that means to understand here this morning in First Tim- or Second Timothy, rather, 1, 8 through 14. Let's, uh, let's, let's read it. Let's read this together, even as we, we were aware. Uh, follow along with me, starting in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us, called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Verse 10, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So verse 14, that last verse there, that, that is what, what I would consider for us this morning kind of our key, our key verse, right? Verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now, as we look to understand, verse 14 here is kind of a, a, uh, a concluding sentence, right? The, if you look kind of ahead, uh, the rest of the, the letter kind of shifts gears a bit topically. And so, if we want to understand what is being meant by verse 14, we look backwards. So I think uh, verses 8 through uh, 13 give us some clarity as to what is being said by guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Because again, I think even as I say that, some of us are thinking certain things, maybe already kind of cluing into what could be referenced here, but let's make sure we're seeing it from the text. All right, that's the intent. So, that language, verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. That is kind of chunky language. I don't really use the word deposit that much in my day-to-day. In fact, this is probably the most I will ever use that word in the entire year. The deposit. What's, what's going on here? Um, we understand it, it, it's got to at least at the surface level relate to protecting something precious, to guard the deposit, right? I think of... Um, uh, like a safety deposit box. <laughs> that, that's kind of what comes to my mind with that word, right? You put something in there that, that you don't want uh, compromised. You, you, it goes in the box and it's not, it's not contaminated. It's not, uh, if you put like a legal document in the safety deposit box, it's not going to get changed. That, that kind of idea. So to guard the deposit, something that is entrusted to you, that's, that's kind of the root there in the Greek, something given for faithful keeping. Um, that's uh, what is being called for. So then what, what is it? What's this good deposit entrusted to you? Let's, let's see our clues. In verses 12 to 13, if you look with me here, we get some clues here. Uh, verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed. I, knew who I'm, I know whom I have believed. I'm convinced he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. There it is. God is able to guard it. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me. In verse 13. So what God has, it has something to do with something that has been entrusted to the Apostle Paul. We see all there in verse 12. First, is he's writing to Timothy. And also, it refers to whatever, again, by inspiration of the Spirit that the Apostle Paul has written before. There's a pattern of sound words that's come before that, that's related to whatever needs to be guarded, whatever this deposit is. So if we uh, uh, draw a few more connections, in fact, this, this is seen elsewhere. So um, we saw the term in verse 12, able to guard until that day. Uh, if you look back, for my Bible, it's literally just the previous page over in 1 Timothy, at the end of 1 Timothy uh, 6. 1 Timothy 6, notice here in verse 20, 1 Timothy 6.20, I think I have that here, yeah. Uh, very similar wording, again, by the Apostle Paul to Timothy in a different uh, uh, letter. It says, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. But notice what's tied in here. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. See that? So it has to do, so guarding the good deposit uh, has to do with protecting against false teaching, which would be present in the church, we would assume, right? That, that's the warning. 
So if we kind of keep all of that together in our heads, if it is stemming from what the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit has been given, and all the previous writings that we'd recognize as the New Testament, and and then by extension being written by the divine author, God, we can recognize this good deposit would be the good news of the gospel and and surely the revealed word of God. Does that make sense? In In other words, he's calling Timothy, calling Christians to hold fast to the right teaching. So in a way, I, I think this terminology in verse 14 connects with our fourth uh, uh, principle, right? To, if we're trying to say for ourselves we want to be ready to defend the truth of God's plan for the family and all relationships, that would tie in with guarding the good deposit. Does that make sense? Is that following? I think it's not a one-to-one you know, comparison, but I think it connects with our thought process. So uh, in all of this, uh, I believe there are four kind of uh, observations, four insights we get as to what it means and how we as believers uh, go about this. If we're called to stand firm, if we are called to hold to the truth, even as we are aware of all the, the uh, um, pressures of the secular world around us to, to go to the contrary, how do we stand firm? Um, we see four insights. I think number one this morning we, we'll see in our text, we stand firm, we must stand firm, unashamed of the gospel. Unashamed. And I'm getting that from verse, uh, verse 8, right? If you look back with me, verse 8 of our, of our main text here in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, right? Right away, his opening kind of instruction, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. And I'm struck by that, right? Timothy is facing... If we think about the immediate context, uh, all kinds of complex problems that are going to come to light in a, in a local church, early church here. And then by extension, believers that come now, as we look to observe this text ourselves, uh, there are, are you know, nearly endless complexities of the different difficulties we may face. Yet he opens with this. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. This is Christian to Christian, right? Paul to Timothy saying don't be ashamed. And I think that really is one of the strongest, at least temptations, or, or where my heart, to, to my shame, is where my heart goes first so often. I, I think, uh, right, the biggest example I think of is when it comes to evangelism. If there's opportunities for me to open my lips and speak of the glories of Jesus, so often my heart quickly, uh, uh, I grow timid rather than bold. And so I think it is, telling that this is where our text begins uh, because so often that's the first area my heart turns towards. Certainly that's the pressure around us. If we connect this to what we are facing, if we connect this to uh, our common theme as we are learning and growing in in regards to God's principles and standards for the family, I would say one of the uh, tactics, if we even want to call it that, but something we see from the secular unbelieving world around us is they respond trying to shame the gospel-driven, Bible-believing Christian for holding such a view that goes against um, A, B, or C, whatever they're going to present, right? The godly picture of marriage being defined as between a man and a woman is met with disdain, mockery, right? The attempt to just kind of, how, how can you possibly believe that, right? That kind of mentality often. Not, not always, but certainly often, and it seems to be growing more and more so. Right? The pattern of a healthy Christian family seeking to be fruitful and multiply is also just under kind of societal pressure and attack. Again, with that, that same kind of uh, uh, how could you be so old-fashioned shaming, trying to, try to, try to bring right, shame upon uh, the stance that is 
of God, the godly stance. And more and more, uh, you can fill in the gaps and fill in the blanks for, for all the different ways and the different avenues of the Christian life that come under this kind of pressure. So, if I feel and I recognize that my heart is definitely, uh, I guess, in danger to, to turn this way, and definitely there's pressure outwardly to feel this way, what's the solution? How do we, what do we see? So look back uh, in your text with me, if you would, Second Timothy. Let's see, uh, verse 12. The Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Spirit, tells us, uh, again, continuing the thought, which is why I suffer as I do, verse 12, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. See the important word there? The important word is whom? Not I know the facts to believe. I, I know the right doctrine to believe. That's not what it says. I'm not ashamed because or for I know whom I have believed. I know God. I believe in Almighty God and I know him through Christ. We would understand uh, doctrinally that would come into play here. But see that? I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. I'm convinced it's a strong faith and understanding in who God is. That is how we combat this kind of bent towards timidity and, and, and being uh, ashamed of the gospel. Instead, we are to know God more. So it's not rocket science in that light, but we are called to know God. That's the, the antidote, if you will. Again, I'm struck by the, the complexities of all that Timothy would face, the complexities that every Christian is, is called to face, yet the exhortation is, is simple, at least in wording. Know God, O Christian. O Christian, don't forsake the, the God of the Bible, the God in whom you've believed. If you're struggling, run to Jesus, run to the Lord. So, it's a simplistic call, if you will, but he describes and, and, and helps us uh, maybe resonate and open our hearts to who God is a little bit more. So let's go back uh, to 2 Timothy now. Let's, let's read. He describes the nature of this God. If we are seeking to know God, be moved by what he has done, what he's accomplished, who he is. Let's read through again, 8 through 12. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now let's describe this God. Who, who is this God we are called to know? Who saved us? called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, because of his own purpose and grace, which he gives us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Right? So knowing God, it, it just as we, just a moment, but knowing God is intricately involved with the gospel. It's been made manifest with the gospel, the, the nature of the life and work of Jesus. Continuing in verse 10, what did Jesus accomplish through the cross? Who abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. And then his, his exhortation, we just read verse 12. He's not ashamed. We are not ashamed because we know whom we have believed. What an encouragement. These are true. So I would say if I'm, if I'm drawing this to my heart now, if I'm looking to stand firm and I, and I, and I need to combat, I don't want to slip into to, uh, uh, feeling ashamed or, or not opening my mouth, whatever the example may be for the cause of Christ, uh, I must be stirred up to all that he has accomplished, and that's going to be intricately kind of involved with who I am in Christ. 
I, I look to bring to my attention once again what, what is true, what is the truth based on who I am in Jesus as a child of God. Now, one thing I, I did mean to mention at the beginning, there's a couple references to suffering throughout this text. And I, I've not focused on them this morning, but I also am not, I'm not looking to just ignore them entirely. Um, they are there, and I would encourage you to kind of maybe you can make a note on your own as you consider how this may connect to enduring suffering in the name of Jesus. But I would say that certainly ties into standing firm. Standing firm in the face of suffering, that is also uh, tied intricately with uh, the gospel and knowing God. So if we're called to stand firm, we're called to guard the good deposit in one of the ways, right? We're not going to have any hope of doing so if we are struggling with feeling ashamed of what he's done. That's the, the, the exhortation here. But so often, I, I don't feel as I should. In fact, we were talked about this a little bit uh, this morning over with the youth. We were talking about what, what happens when we can't, when our heart maybe isn't in it in that moment, minute by minute, right? We all have seasons like this, times like this. I think every day by day, there's this fight to, to feel rightly. Um, well, the wonderful news for us as we see this text is we are not left to our own devices when we are given this instruction, all right? So don't, we are called to stand firm, unashamed of the gospel, but we are not called to do so on our own strength. Instead, we are called to stand firm. We must stand firm in the power of God. You probably saw it already in that opening verse. Verse eight, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering, they're suffering again, for the gospel by the power of God. That's huge. As we consider knowing who God is, it's, it's more than just affirming facts. We understand, as we're going to see and just at the very end as well, by his Holy Spirit as well, God promises that he is with us and, and actively moving that we would stand firm in this way. It's not, it's not uh, God's not calling us Christian, make sure you defend and stand firm so then I can move in your life. Like, like you have to scratch off some sort of like a, a reach a certain bar or standard. God is saying, no, stand firm because I'm with you. I'm actively moving and, and helping you stand firm in the power of God. So let's, let's see this. So as we've seen, he walks through all the wondrous uh, aspects of what God has done. We've just walked through them and seen, right? He's called us to a holy calling. Life has purpose, the gospel, the manifest in Christ Jesus. And we see now that's not only telling us who God is, but, but that same God of all these characteristics, is the one whom we are acting by his power. See? I don't know if that was anywhere near the right English, but do you see that here? In verse 8, by the power of God, that power is, is seen. We've just seen all the nature of, 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 in a very kind of abbreviated sense, of what God has done. It's that God, that power at work. Verse 12, we've, we've parked there a few times already, but notice here, so this, if, if the reason we can be, the reason we can not be ashamed of God and the reason we are convinced is because we know God, we know whom we've believed, we see in verse 12. But notice the second half, and Paul is saying, I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So we've been called to guard. He's, he's actively calling Timothy, calling Christians to guard the good deposit, yet we see he's also confident that God is able to guard what has been entrusted. See, it's one of my favorite, just incredible realities within Scripture is this coming together between our responsibility, what we are called to do, and yet God's promise, it comes together. God is, God is working and we are moving, and, and at, the, at the middle there it gets to be kind of a mystery and my brain starts to hurt. But it's wonderful that God is acting, yet we are also acting. So um, I'm not 
making this up. Let's see. Let's see this elsewhere. We see this elsewhere throughout Scripture. There's different ones, but a few of my favorite references. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Notice this kind of summary of the Christian life. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. That's about as uh, concise as you can put it, all in one sentence. Work, Christian, oh Christian, work, defend, do all these things as hard as you can, yet as you are doing so, practically, it is the grace of God always at work and move. No, no, we're never going to just drum it up ourselves, is the point. I don't want us to get so caught up in the instruction that we lose sight of the instructor, rather, the one, the one who's guiding us here. Colossians 1.29 Another one of my favorite ways it's put in scripture. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Referring to the Lord. <laughs> For this I, str- I, I, I pursue, yet it's with the energy that, that he, God, is actively working within me. It's wondrous. It, th- to me, I'm, I'm massively encouraged. Because I get overwhelmed so often as I consider how much I fall short on my own. Yet, here is this promise that I, I keep losing sight of, that I ought not lose sight of. It is God moving within us if we are in Christ. So there's this uh, complete clarity in the call that I must hold to the truth, yet there's confidence in the caller that he is able to fully guard and keep his word pure. As we consider holding firm to the truth, all these uh, uh, principles that God has given us. We don't have time to go through it now, but we are going to sing at the end the song, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me, which is coming from a couple of these verses. So I encourage you to pay attention as we sing and see some of these, these truths brought out in that song. But we will not look at it for now. Let's keep moving. We must stand firm, unashamed of the gospel, in the power of God. Third, grounded in the word. Did not mean to rhyme, but there it was. Number three, grounded in the word. Verse 13, we've seen this already, but again, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So based on this instruction, I say, I would see this also ties directly into obedience. That hasn't been the primary focus this morning, but obviously if we're going to live this way in the power of God, that's tied to living according to his instruction all throughout our lives. That draws us to where we've come so far in these weeks, in these months, and hopefully to come in the next couple weeks months notice what is not said here if we consider the the pattern do you see what i'm saying when i say verse 13 the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me again we're tying that into the witness of the apostle paul's previous words but then of course it's the lord who's established him and he's given us instruction we're we're, we are branching that out to the revealed instruction from god that's what i'm tying in there and seeing in verse 13 um but notice what is not said. It's not follow the pattern of sound words until there's a little bit of conflict, then, then feel free to compromise. It's not follow the pattern of sound words until it gets a little uncomfortable and maybe there's some tricky cultural stuff. It's not what it says here. We're to hold firm, to hold fast. It's quite clear. Follow the pattern. We, we've been given instruction, O Christian. We stand in ashamed in the power of God and we stand grounded in what has been made uh, revealed to us and we see and understand his truth a couple other texts again this is not the only place the the witness of scripture guides us first uh, titus excuse me one nine you must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught 
that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. See how that, that ties into uh, uh, false teaching and being aware and defending, being strong, understanding we hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Notice we don't want to overlook either the end of verse 13. In all things that we hold firm, and, and if we're tying our principle to defend God's plan for the family, notice the end of verse 13, in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. We won't spend a lot of time there, but we understand that this call to stand firm is not a call to be belligerent and vicious or violent ourselves as we stand for the truth. We would tie this certainly into the, the witness of Jesus to be meek in the face of opposition. But we want to hold firm in confidence of who God is un, and not compromising, that's to be clear, not compromising the truth, but it's also in faith and in love. After all, we have been loved and shown great love first. 1 John 4, 10 through 11. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. What a text, right? So in all things, keep that in, in mind. We want to be steadfast and holding firm, defending the trustworthy word, yet even as we do, it's with a heart of love because we are not looking to, to blast anybody over the head with facts. We, we hold the greatest news of all time. Salvation through Christ, eternal life in the name of Jesus. That is in all things our focus to communicate. So lastly, I apologize. You're, you've done well. I know we're going a bit long. Lastly, number four, final encouragement. We must stand firm empowered by the Holy Spirit. These all tie together. So we, we've broken them into four separate, but, but it all holds and, and comes together in, in this light. Um, and a final encouragement. If all this instruction is here, and I'm, and I'm struggling that, that, that I know I'm, I'm not strong enough, I recognize from the second point it's the power of God, grounded in his instruction, the third point, and we see there in 14 where we've arrived back at our key verse, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Christian, we are not powerless in this light, um, in Christ, we have been given this helper, the Holy Spirit. The, the terminology used in Scripture, again, is, is uh, helper. That helps us understand. When the helper comes, capital H referring to the Holy Spirit, I will send, this is Jesus speaking, I will send to you from the Father the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And in fact, we see in texts like Galatians 5.16, which I think we saw earlier on at the beginning, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So it is by this indwelling spirit that we then are going to have any hope of obedience and victory. And certainly that's how we're going to stand firm. It's not going to be on our own power. It doesn't have to be on our own own power. Excuse me. So I take that as kind of a, a simultaneous conviction. Like, oh man, I shouldn't be focusing on the wrong things. But also an encouragement. I'm not facing this alone. We fit the end of our time this morning. So as we bring all of this together, really just in light, I encourage you to consider and to continue to consider where we've come so far in the weeks previous, where we're going to be going, as we've been addressing and seeing these principles, the various principles of God's intentional design for every relationship, for the family and, and elsewhere, and how that, that integrates with the church. All these things, it's not just passing instruction, I encourage you to be reminded this is God's intent. And so we are called to pursue understanding as best we can, yes, and to stand firm, hold fast. We haven't delved into all the different areas of pressures. We know there's, there's 
obviously your own heart, you're, you're, you're aware of difficulties within, within your own life, surely, but we know the pressures around us, whether it's society or within, the pressures around us to compromise on the truth. But instead, hold firm, guard the good deposit, the precious truth that we have in Christ. Um, I was asked the musicians to come forward. We're going to sing a song as we end this morning. And that is by intent. We, we sing a song to close uh, because it is a, it, it's a powerful means for us to meet with the Lord in song. And I encourage you uh, to use this time. To use this time as we sing. To I would pay attention to the words, of course, but if you need to, uh, just take some moments. Pray. Get right with the Lord. Uh, maybe just ask His Holy Spirit to look within, reflect on your hearts, maybe things you need to address. Um, again, that's different for each of us, but I pray that you would use that way. Um, but go ahead and stand as we prepare. This is a song that uh, is one of one of my personal favorites. We sing uh, a whole lot. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. I, I encourage you to see maybe some connections to the different texts uh, that we've seen. Again, those four points this morning. We stand firm, guarding the good deposit. Unashamed of the gospel, we stand firm in the power of God, grounded in the word, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let's, uh, let's sing this morning. Thank you.